2: happy pride happy pride happy pride it is the best day of the year and welcome back to the leaving eden podcast sadie why is it the best day of the year
3: it is the best day of the year because today is the leaving eden drag brunch with dinah house fire this is one of my favorite yearly traditions probably my favorite yearly tradition that we have on the podcast
2: Dinah Housefire is going to be joining myself, my name is Gabrielle Hacohen, and my BFF and co-host today, Sadie Carpenter, here on the Leaving Eden podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. What we are talking about today, uh, the last few years when we've had Dinah come on for the Leaving Eden Drag Brunch, we've kind of had sort of just like, oh, we're shooting this kind of episode. Now I think we have, this year, we have a much more specific topic that we're talking about.
3: So I wanted to talk about this topic and I thought it might take up part of an episode and then we would have, you know, more just casual hangout jokes and the stuff we normally do when Dinah's around. Uh, but then we just kept going and this topic ended up taking up an entire episode and I am so glad that it did. We had a really meaningful conversation.
2: So we're talking about the origin of purity culture and also this book that I never read but that I guess if you were raised fundy or raised evangelical was like a a ubiquitous book called Through Gates of Splendor.
3: Yeah, I'll I'll explain it all when we get to the main episode. It is very LGBTQ related. It is very purity culture related. I think it's incredibly worth looking into.
2: We recorded the actual meat of the episode yesterday, this this interview or, or this uh, guest appearance from Dinah yesterday. It was a very fascinating conversation that we had. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there's numerous things that you can do in order to support us. You can join that Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where we have extended and uncensored and ad free versions of most of our episodes. You can join our subreddit and our Facebook group. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. So you go into Reddit, or you go into Facebook, you search Eden Exodus, pop right up. And as always, the easiest way that you can share that you can support the show is by sharing it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, uh, your enemies, your, uh, uh, acquaintances your pediatrician your dietitian, or whatever it is that you're having a doctor for I, i'm sorry my brain is fried right now it's the day after the nba draft and i was up very late last night watching the trailblazers draft scoot henderson welcome to rip city scoot my brain is fried i kinda
3: like that i feel like we should um make a new list of people that you can tell about our podcast every for every episode now
2: yeah you can tell your father you can tell your son and you can tell your holy spirit uh (laughs) (laughs) i'm just i'm just Uh, man is there oh uh, we have new merch available we have the pride merch still available um as always year round if you buy pride merch then that uh the the proceeds for that go to support lgbtq community during pride we like to upload a a couple new pride themed designs so we have some new pride themed designs going out we also are going to have some new uh merch designs going out next month for our summer of satan episode series when we're going to be talking about the satanic panic uh we're going to be talking about jack chick we're going to be talking about rock and roll being from, uh, from the devil again a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about Bob Larson. We're going to be talking about the shit comics, and we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and So watch for that coming next month.
3: I'm so excited about Summer of Satan.
2: Yeah. Summer of Satan was Sadie's idea. When she suggested, I'm just like, yes.
3: I think we're going to have about four or five weeks. We'll see how the episodes stretch out, but we're, we'll have about four or five weeks of satanic panic related content
2: it's pretty exciting it's uh, honestly i love talking about satanic panic and i think that's it we just have to thank our patrons um
3: okay
2: yeah so do you want to thank the patrons do you want me to thank the patrons? i would love
3: to thank the patrons
2: i would also love to thank the patrons but i will let you have the opportunity this it's
3: pride month gavi so our i gave it all patrons are kathleen moncrief melissa Mosley. And Todd Dale on behalf of Madeline Antrim. Welcome, Todd and Madeline, to our I Gave It All tier. Our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are Alex P., Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Ashley Doxtater, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen the Musical, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Enchanted Fairy, Esther M., Hannah Ross, Hope Norham, Horton Here's a Shane, Janine Callen, Jen Kuharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Justin, Cat Hinwood, Kater Wee, Kitty Kate, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen. Oh, I think that person. Oh, they've changed their name. Okay,
4: Learned Linda Morgan. Vixen.
3: This is somebody who's changed. They've changed their screen name.
2: If you change your screen name, then we have to read it, whatever it says. So that have is, fun with that.
3: That is not correct. <laughs> we are no we are um
2: we're obligated by god to read the that is not
3: no that is not true (laughs) no we are um we offer to read anything that you put in your screen name field but reserve the right to reject uh reading screen names allowed on air at the sole discretion of leaving eden podcast llc and its subsidiaries
2: yeah so you can't say anything like (laughs) offensive or yeah. let's, offensive, let's, but got, not funny.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You can't say anything that's, that's offensive and not funny. Yeah. <laughs> Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marcia Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reesey, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, the Loch Ness, Tiffany Enderby, and as always wes the cowboy
2: thank you wes the cowboy
3: and to all of our gave it i gave it all to your and faith promise missions to your patrons and to everyone who supports us over on patreon we truly appreciate you so much can we do our trigger warning and get into this amazing interview in general we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show including but not limited to suicide and mental health racism misogyny PTSD and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling, and we do our very best to give you a heads up before any of that sort of detail comes up this episode broadly discusses homophobia and christian culture uh colonialism mission work we also do talk about uh, like people's repressed sexuality and we do a very measured very careful speculation into people's sexuality on this episode that's not something we typically do we will explain fully like our methodology and why we think this is appropriate when we get to the episode but those are the things to keep your Keep your eyes open for in this episode.
2: Thank you so much for that. And without further ado, let's get into it with Dinah. Rollin'. Rollin', rollin', rollin. New metals back.
3: Why do you never do rolling down the river?
0: Honestly, rolling. RIP Tina. Yeah, RIP this Tina. Is, a
4: legend.
3: This is drag brunch, and we are in the year of Tina Turner's passing.
4: <sighs>
3: I feel like. It's disrespectful not to do rolling you down. You should the
0: always way. be rolling down the river.
2: A big wheel, keep on turning. Turn. P- p- proud Mary, keep on burning. All right. <laughs> well, we are here with <laughs> Dinah House Fire. No, let me do it.
3: I have, a, I have an intro. I was
2: just, prepared for prepared intro. Sadie, okay. give us your intro.
3: Yeah, I was. Okay. Well, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else, we are here. Rolling down the river with the lovely, fantastic Dinah House Fire. Hello. Welcome back, Dinah.
0: Hi, thank you. Glad to be back.
2: It's the Leaving Eden Drag Brunch, y'all. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Because as this episode comes out, it will still be Pride Month for another like three or four or five days or whatever. And we think that's something
0: that's worth celebrating.
3: How has your Pride Month been, Miss Dinah?
0: Um, my pride month has been good. I've been, I've been working, uh, drag gigs a good bit this month, um, which, Hell yeah. which is always fun. Um, got to do drag bingo the other day, which was a lot of fun. I've actually never called bingo before. So that was new, but it was like, they had the big rolly thing and the basket and the ball falls out and you know, it was a whole thing. But yeah, no, uh, my pride has been really good. I have felt like, um, so I, I've, I've felt more like visibly, participating in pride this year. Um, and I don't exactly know why that is, but I've been wearing my rainbow, um, Apple watch band and my rainbow Crocs and just living it out loud.
3: There's a lot to maybe be proud of this year in Arkansas. I know it's been a really tough year for LGBT people down there, <sighs> but there was recently a, a little bit of a legal victory, I think.
0: Yes. Thank God. So Arkansas, um, you know, there's the whole thing where ALEC is kind of behind all the legislation going around in conservative places, but there was a bill that made it, that actually got um, passed that was to ban uh, gender-affirming treatment to any minor, and I believe it was regardless of parent consent, so it was just like, no, uh, to any trans kids, basically. Um, but thankfully, there uh, this I think it was this week, uh, there was a permanent injunction placed against that legislation. So it cannot go into, into place. So Thank God. Thank oh, God, oh, yeah. because they're just trying to make trans people not exist. And that's not going to happen. And also the way to make that happen is really, really, really sad.
2: Yeah. And uh, I mean, that law would literally have killed children, yeah. which is f- up. Yeah, you can't do that.
3: I really oh, like to man. to see victories and resistance in places that are so hostile mm. to LGBTQ people because I think that puts people like me who live in a more progressive area on notice. Right. Like, hey, these people where it is so much more of a fight can make real change.
0: Yeah. So what and, are you doing? And I'll say, you know, God bless the ACLU for all that they've been doing um, in sort of helping with push through against this legislation. Uh, There's also an organization called intransitive and they are sort of our Arkansas specifically trans community watchdogs. And they did, they've done a really good job of community organizing down here.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is easy for Sadie or me to, to, I I don't want to say talk the talk because like that, that makes it seem like, you know, that, that makes it seem kind of like weak, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But like, it. I, I mean, I live like probably two, three blocks away from me is a neighborhood in Philadelphia called the Gaborhood, which is like the, you know, and there's like rainbows painted on the streets and rainbows painted on the signs and everything. And it's easy, you know, here for me to be like, yes, I support the LGBTQ community. And everyone's like thumbs up and <laughs> right. it's like a- <laughs> where you are, man. Ooh. Oy bay.
0: I will say, um, living in Little Rock is a little different than most of the rest of the state, um, because it is, it's slightly more urban and, um, it's a lot more diverse. And so we have like Little Rock swings slightly left of moderate, um, as a whole, which is good, but you know, I didn't grow up here. And so I know what those other parts of the state are all about. And so that is scarier, um. Because like, thankfully, like I teach at a high school here and it's very, it is sort of majority people of color, um, but also very, very, um, open to the LGBTQ community. And, um, I mean, we're an arts school, so there's lots of weirdos and, and we love it, but that's not the case for most of the people down. So I'm thankful for the little bubble I live in, but also acknowledge that it is a privilege.
3: And I'm, I'm thankful that some reasonable thinking from within that little bubble seems to be uh, winning the day, at least, in the state.
0: They are working their asses oh. off, and we, we like to support them any way we can. Hell yeah.
3: Well, props to them. Happy pride to everybody pride. who is working so hard in Arkansas and in other places to uh, continue to make the world a livable place or Absolutely. make the world a livable place again. As a situation may be right. sure. for LGBTQ people and for everyone.
4: Right. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> so, Dinah, I um, I sent you an article a couple months back <laughs> that may have been a bit of a jump scare. Do you <laughs> remember this article? I
0: do. I remember this article. I remember reading it and just being like, oh, oh, this is a lot. That's a lot of information I did not anticipate
3: yeah so i I like I read this article and then I immediately sent it to you, and then I thought, <laughs> Um, I should have sent that with the trigger warning,
0: and it was fine, like, but no, it was it was a lot like it's it's heavy, but also it's just super turning a narrative on its head. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah i'm I'm so glad you sent it to me,
3: and I thought this would be um. An interesting episode to tell the people what we read and maybe what we got from this set of articles that I sent to you. Mm-hmm. So this is a set of articles um, containing journal excerpts from Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Now, Gavi, I imagine that you don't really know who these people are.
2: I don't. Sadie, uh, when we were talking about what we we're going to talk about on this episode, you said we're going to talk about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And I'm like, cool.
0: <laughs> <Who's that>? <laughs>
3: <Awesome>. <laughs> so let me give you the the TLDR on that. So Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries who attempted to evangelize the Wayrani people. Uh the Wayarani are a tribe of indigenous people in isolation in Ecuador. So they are people who don't have contact like with what we would frame as the outside world, meaning us. Of course. You know, to them, their group is their world, and right. they may not care if, <laughs> if they have contact with us.
0: You could almost frame it, like, as sort of, like, pre-Columbian, as very Eurocentric yeah. as that is. Like, they have they have not actually been colonized by any European folks.
2: They're living the dream. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right.
3: And some missionaries tried, um, and did not, it didn't go very well for them. Mm-mm people listening to this podcast may be familiar with the book through gates of splendor which was the book that elizabeth Elliot wrote about her husband's attempt to evangelize <laughs> colonize these people in that book they are referred to as the akka indians a-u-c-a but in researching this i have learned that akka is a slur and not what these people would want to be called <laughs> because- oh <Oy be. laughs> Of course, yeah, of course, that's what yeah. Christians have been calling them for, for 70 years now. Of course it is. Uh, th- but their proper name is the Wayarani tribe. These five missionaries, including Jim Elliott, attempted to evangelize these people by flying over in a small plane, bringing gifts, and then meeting with some of the indigenous people on the beach, giving them more gifts. The whole idea is that they would build a relationship with them and then eventually learn their language and be able to tell them about Jesus, <laughs> as Ginger Duggar would say.
0: Uh, speaking of Arkansas. Hey, at least Josh isn't in the state anymore.
3: Yeah, your your state had some big gains in the last couple we of years. We really did, the, right? Getting yeah. Josh Duggar down to Texas.
2: Bye! And Ginger Duggar went to, I guess she's in California now. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Because that's where God is calling her to live. Convenient. So that she can go to Nobu every Friday. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ain't none so, of my business. Back
3: to, <laughs> back to Jim Elliott. Um, the the five missionaries that were attempting to evangelize the Weirani probably avoided giving them smallpox. Uh, but they did drop photographs, which the Weirani interpreted as being like an evil token, which is understandable when you consider that they had never seen white people or planes or photographs before. So it is very logical that they would think this was bad news. When the missionaries visited again, they were all speared to death on the beach.
0: I read a little bit about that um, elsewhere, and I don't want to go too far into it, because that's not really the point of where we're going. But um, I did read that there was some more like contact where they made contact. Of course, they didn't speak the same language. But, like some of them were really intrigued, at least according to this article that I read, by the airplane and the fact that people were able to fly. And they gave one guy like a little tour of the area in the airplane and and brought him back. yeah, and, like they were trying to have conversations. um, but that did not sit well with the people. And I mean, possibly rightly so. Um, And I I don't want to paint them in a better picture than we are. I mean, they definitely were doing some good old fashioned uh, colonialism. But um, I think it goes a little bit further than just like, photographs bad. Like, I think there was more interpersonal stuff probably going on.
3: And these, these missionaries, truly, if you, you know, you read their journals, and you understand that they were willing to give their life for Mm -hmm. this they knew that there was a very good chance that they would not make it out of this mission that they were going on i think it's clear that they truly thought that they were doing the right thing yeah and i think the most respectful thing to do is to acknowledge that they truly thought they were doing the best thing and also make it clear that they were not in any way doing the best thing
2: here's the thing that that kind of bothers me though is that like when i'm thinking back to like episode two of this podcast when you were talking about how well if somebody's never even heard of jesus how can they go to heaven because and and i was you know and, and since i've read things since then there have been people who have said things like well God makes an exception where if you would have never had a chance to hear about Jesus, then you never would have had a chance to reject him. So maybe you don't go to hell for that reason. And like these people, clearly they've never heard of Jesus. And so they're like, now you have a chance to reject Jesus. So now you have a chance to go to hell. That seems like that's kind of up.
0: well but i think so there is in the new testament this concept of before the end of the world or before jesus comes back there would be believers of every tongue tribe and nation in the world um mm-hmm. and so like in their minds they're also trying to hasten the return of of the lord by reaching absolutely
3: every people group right because <clears throat> that's one of the many things that has to happen in order to make the rapture happen even though no man knows the day or the hour and
2: that's kind of opportunistic though.
3: Well, they also believe that nobody knows when it's coming and that you can't God has already chosen a time for it and you can't do anything to influence God's timing. It, it's one of those catch 22s that you get into when you talk about free will and the Christian concept of salvation in heaven and hell. It's one of the it just goes in circles.
0: And I mean, you look back at the great commission, like it's it's baked in, you know, go ye therefore. And I come from I come from Baptists that are a little bit different than Sadie's, but like we're, we were landmark Baptists. So we believe that the Baptist church is the true church that goes all the way back to Jesus. And we don't have to go into all of that. But, but yeah, that was a big thing of like, even though there might be um, some Christians around, we've got to make sure that absolutely every group has the right kind of Christians, quote unquote.
3: Oh, uh, pop quiz for Gavi. Do you remember what that concept is called?
2: Wait, which concept? (laughs)
3: Uh the the concept that only certain certain types of Baptists are the true Christians and descended from the early church.
2: That is Baptist bridalism.
3: Good job. There you go. Good job. Uh, I win. That's correct. Do
2: I get an A plus? Do I, what do I get on my test?
3: You you get a little rainbow flag as a as a
0: prize. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: I want to come back and cover the entire story of Through Gates of Splendor, especially with the new evidence that turned up in some of these articles I read. I want to do like a side-by-side of the story as Elizabeth Elliot told it, and the story as was told in their journals and letters, because it seems like there may be some mismatches there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Because it seems that there may be some mismatches between what Elizabeth Elliot preached and what she practiced in a lot of areas of her life so after jim's death elizabeth became a leading figure in evangelicalism she became kind of famous just because her husband was in their conceptualization of things martyred for christianity she had a very young child at the time that he died she was a very sympathetic figure because oh now this woman they'd only been married like two years and her young husband has just been brutally killed this is how the christian press would have said it right and she's got this small child and now she's going to stay in ecuador to continue evangelizing these people and she was kind of a perfect uh figurehead well it's a perfect
0: victim exactly your question auto martyrdom
3: maybe mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like she's putting herself yeah. <clears throat> there very intentionally um to make a point
3: yeah and she leaned into it super hard by writing not only through gates of splendor which is the um just a the story of this mission trip and how her husband was killed but also she wrote tons of other books and one book that she wrote and a few other follow-ups that she wrote to it may have kind of invented purity culture, actually.
0: Pew, 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 pew. Yeah. Really?
3: Yeah. So she wrote this book, Passion and Purity. And in this book, she told a version of her Bible college romance with her dead husband, Jim. She talks in that book about... How they were so attracted to each other and so in love, and it's so difficult to not have sex with somebody that you're committed to and attracted to, but not get married to. And, but they did it, and if we did it, so can you. And it was so, it was so hard, but we did it. And, th- and that's kind of the the vibe of that book. This is a quote from Passion and Purity that like that directly translates to purity culture today.
2: Oh, if hold on for- one second. Dinah, will you turn the vibrate off on your phone? Because every time
0: it vibrates, it's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
3: Dinah, can you quit using your vibrator? We're trying to have a <laughs> discussion about purity. Sorry, culture. I got the bullet
0: out and I didn't know. I um-
3: <laughs> <laughs> just dropped it and it fell on the switch. <laughs> <laughs> Happened to all of us.
2: Thank <laughs> you for subscribing to our uh, <laughs> I Gave It All tier of our <laughs>
3: <laughs> no we i'm just to gonna do... but this
2: is pride month i'm just gonna put that on regular patreon that's
0: fine <laughs>
3: uh, you know we've already I talked about vibrators on, on the podcast once this month <laughs> so
2: happy with time? Lindsay. yeah that was fun <laughs> man yeah. I...
3: so quote from passion and purity if virginity is to be preserved lines must be drawn why put yourself in any situation where the lines become smudged and obscu- obscure? Why take the risks? Why accept the pressure of tremendous temptation when you can easily avoid it by refusing to be anywhere where compromise is possible?
2: Hmm. Eve.
3: So this is something that, that is incredibly common in modern purity culture. We've talked about the slippery slope analogy where, you know, originally people were... Told, well, you can kiss, but you can't make out because that's going to lead you to having sex. And then you know, 10 years later, it was, well, don't kiss until your wedding day because that's going to lead you to making out and that's going to lead you to having sex. And then you know, 10 years later, it was, well, don't even hold hands or have any physical contact until your wedding day because, you know, slippery slope. I think Elizabeth Elliot may have been one of the first people to publish that. You know, I,
0: so we weren't quite as like rigid about all the like the steps and rules. Um, it was mostly don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die. Um, but we definitely had that same concept of like if sex is the the line that you can't cross, you should be actively working to stay as far away from that line as possible. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't want to even have the appearance of anything evil, which would be you know mm-hmm. intimacy. Um, so yeah, we didn't we didn't quite do the you-can't-even-hold-hands thing, but definitely we knew that we weren't supposed to do anything
3: risqué, let's say. And it, it appears that Elizabeth Elliott may have been one of the first people to start moving that line back further and further away mm. from sex. She may have also been one of the pioneers of encouraging people to not give pieces of their heart away, through like, dating too much or being too emotionally intimate with people before engagement?
0: The don't be too emotionally intimate thing is interesting to me. I, I I definitely grew up with the don't give pieces of your heart away idea, which is, as an adult, I look back and I go, well, I mean, yeah, don't, don't throw your love around, but also, like, love multiplies. It doesn't divide. So that's weird. But you would think that you would want people to be emotionally very involved with one another if they are going to, in fact, be married and then have sex.
3: In the IFB, it was kind of engagement or getting real close to engagement was kind of that line, which Mm -hmm. is how we had all those additional rules about the I like you phase and the I love you phase and the engagement phase and like what you could and couldn't talk about and all of those different phases. Mm. That was intended as a don't give pieces of your heart away thing
2: the i like you phase like the i like you phase as a as a concept is really like uh, to me <laughs> i'm telling you grand. dude you
3: could go you could go drive to crown point indiana right now and walk through the drool pool it's about three in the afternoon in indiana and you would hear grown adult couples who who are old enough to drink drive and vote Sitting in the drool pool, staring deeply into each other's eyes, whispering, I like you. Vom. I like you, too. I, I am telling uh, you, you could go there right now and hear it. it <laughs> exactly. Makes my
2: hair stand up on end to hear you talk about that, Sadie. It really well, does. you know
3: what? You know what you did to me with the Ben Shapiro voice in the episode that's coming out next week. You can take yeah. it.
2: I like you. No! <laughs>
3: no! Technically,
2: If you never, ever, ever go even close to having sex, then you will maintain your purity forever. I know this because my wife, (laughs) who is a doctor. (laughs) Clearly.
3: Clearly. Oh
0: my god. (laughs) This is Elizabeth
3: Elliot's fault. how did so,
0: Ben Shapiro and Elizabeth Elliot find each other?
3: Elizabeth Elliot did this.
2: <laughs> Jim Elliot f- died on a beach in Ecuador, and then it's it's like the domino meme where it's Jim Elliot dying on a beach in f- Ecuador and getting speared to death, <laughs> and then fifty years later it's bring a bucket and a mop for a wet ass P word. <laughs>
0: And then here we are across the country from one another talking about it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Talk about
0: the dominoes.
3: And it's all because Elizabeth Elizabeth. Elliot wrote all of these books that were highly idealized versions of her own love story that she spun in the years following her husband's death. These books made her famous and they got her respect in evangelical circles that was that is rarely afforded to women today and is was even more rarely afforded to women 70 years ago, 60 years ago. She told this story in her books of a quote, "tornado of passion. Ooh. that Jim and Elizabeth, <laughs> by the grace of God, managed to keep under lock and key until their wedding night.
2: Wait, is the tornado of passion the thing that uh, that Mariah Mills was tweeting about with Zion Williamson?
3: I thought Tornado of Passion was the new ride at Six Flags St. Louis.
0: I thought it's what we call when I leave my phone on vibrate.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So the thing is, this is like, this is the story that she spun. But the, not only does her own story not line up in the different books in which she tells it, but the journals and letters from their courtship also don't line up with the story that she told in her books
2: a twist see that's the thing every time you see somebody who's like who like makes their personal life into like content uh-huh. which is essentially what she's uh-huh. doing like but it's they didn't call it content back then or she's basically just monetizing her personal life the reality never lines up with what actually happens like 99.99 of the time there's no couple who's who has that, who who, mm-hmm. who does that, whose lives are actually as idyllic as they portray.
0: Well, I was going to say, even things that, like, outside of the world of this sort of proto-influencer, which is kind of what she was, um, you can look at other authors like that wrote about their own lives, like Laura Ingalls Wilder. Her real-life story is not Little House on the Prairie. It's worthwhile to then go back and compare those notes and see, like, oh, okay, I can see why they said this, or I can see why they would have said that whether it's a good thing or not, and then go, but this is what's really going on.
3: The key difference there, I think, is that Little House on the Prairie is a work of fiction. True. And was marketed as semi-autobi- semi-autobiographical fiction. Yeah. Um,
0: as opposed to what Elizabeth Elliot was doing.
3: Yeah, because what she ended up doing was being one of the premier voices on sexuality and christian dating as much as i hate that phrase the so when i say that their journals and letters tell a different story they tell a different story to the extent that some people have speculated that jim or both jim and elizabeth may have not been straight and perhaps this was a marriage of convenience situation or a beard situation I want to dig into the actual quotes and then give my analysis, because I think that the, the, oh my God, what if he was gay is the tip of the iceberg of the value of this story. Like I don't find like speculating on some dead guy's sexuality is, is not typically what we would do on this podcast. I am promising that I am going somewhere much deeper with this. So I'm going to jump into to quite a few of these quotes from the journals, and y'all break in if you need any clarification or have anything to say.
2: Go for
4: it.
3: Jim, upon meeting Elizabeth, described her in a letter to his parents as a tall, lean girl, far from beautiful. In another letter, he says that he likes her not on account of a fine-featured face, a shapely form, nor even on account of rare conversational powers— of the former two, she possesses little of appeal. Yikes. And he called her ugly to her face. Like he, he used kind of nice language to do it, but he made it very clear to her and everyone he, around him, his family, his close friends, that he did not find her physically attractive. That
2: sucks.
0: It really does. And
3: That's this was really like, a- this was in his in his journals also that she found after his death, which sucks. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine like if you your...
3: going... to
2: look at what this woman looks like?
3: I mean she's not she's not conventionally beautiful, but I can look at her and go, "Oh yeah, somebody who was in love with her could absolutely see her as beautiful."
2: What does she look? I mean, she's she got a very like...
3: radiant smile.
2: I see the only like the only thing that I, I I'm I'm looking her up right now. Okay, oh, he, here she is young. I mean, she has like a gap in her front teeth and that's I was it. Say. that's like the only fe- mm-hmm. That's the only feature about her that I'm like
3: and a lot of people think gap teeth are cute. Uh,
2: I think she's relatively average. She looks like a very yeah. regular person. Yeah. And not in, like a bad way. like this...
3: Yeah. And plenty of regular people and average looking people have partners who look at them and believe that they're the most beautiful person in the world. That's true. <clears throat> and people who are in love tend to be physically attracted to their partner, no matter what that partner looks like and also
2: like even if your partner isn't somebody who is like conventionally like the the instagram butt model looking person then you still find things to that that you that you find out about this person that you're like that is the thing that does it for me Mm -hmm. you know it's very like i mean like man i i can't i don't know i can't imagine marrying somebody and ever writing down where they could find it I don't like, I I don't think this person is attractive. That's crazy to me. What is like to do? Yeah, that right. And like, he
3: wrote those first two things in letters to his parents. So, like, what a way to attract to introduce your parents. The second one was, I think, after they were engaged. So, also, that's great. So, also, he he, of the former
0: two, she possesses little of appeal. Who writes like that? What the
3: he's. He's got a lot of friends who are like English majors.
4: Hmm.
3: Um including one very close personal friend who is an English major who was writing his doctoral thesis on a book with like very heavy what would you what would you call it? A, a very overtones. gay book. Yeah. It's a very gay book. Like
0: homoerotic overtones.
3: Um, that that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Um who was like a very close friend of Jim Elliot's um their journals and letters to each other and friends don't just speak of not being highly attracted to each other they also speak of a lot of emotional upheaval about their relationship jim wrote in his journal about a belief that god had called him to be a eunuch for the kingdom of god and that (sighs) he would never be married never be married and remain celibate
0: which is what paul told us to do
3: right but was not normal in his denomination well And he wrote about whether God sending him Elizabeth was a test of that calling. He also wrote both before and after their marriage about some kind of sexual urges that he believed to be impure. So here's a quote from his journal. "'Lord, thou must put an end to my fleshly issue. Stop it, Lord. Staunch the flow of this defilement which springs from rotten flesh and then in another, uh, another entry, I think this one is after their marriage. I cannot for the life of me understand my heart. Somewhere down deep in the murky pools of consciousness, there is a great monster whom I will name Want for just now. This is the only constant thing about me, desire. Much to Freud's consternation, I cannot name it sex urge, for I have found that such will not glut the maw of the brute. He demands more of a varied diet, And one not so easily obtained as that either. I have. So you.
2: I have. Wait, so very diet. That means like.
3: Very diet. There is a desire in me that sex with my wife does not satisfy.
0: Right. And yeah.
3: So he is certainly Uh, hmm. potentially (laughs) referring to a, a desire to have extramarital affairs with other women.
2: Or he could just be like she just wants mish every time.
3: Sure. Or he feels
2: dirty about jacking it. You
0: like it could be lots yeah. of different things.
3: But one not so easily obtained as, as, obtained as that either. Yeah. Something that's not as easy to get as sex with his wife. J- whatever this unnamed temptation was, Jim says that he had to quote steal myself to sex in the face of it so he couldn't get this whatever this thing was that he wanted so he was trying to just have sex with his wife and make that enough and he goes back and forth like even in his final days about whether he should confess to his wife what he is going through even in actually his last journal entry and elizabeth had published his quote unquote last journal entry But she actually published the second to last one, which was much more spiritual. In his actual last entry, he is going back and forth on. Should I tell her like before I potentially go die? Hmm. But Jim wasn't the only one talking about some kind of unwanted desire. Elizabeth wrote, quote, I cannot write it even here. Oh God, purge me, take away all desire. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds familiar.
0: Sounds very familiar. Like it's almost the that same. That sounds familiar. It's almost the same verbiage.
3: Mm-hmm. I can mm.
0: understand this though. Like, as someone who has, you know, hidden my sexuality in years past and, and, you know, gender and all those things, like, I get it. I get that pleading with God to take it away and make me mm-hmm. you know not have this burden anymore. You know, I think I talk about uh, the apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh possibly being his sexuality. But yeah, when I was a teenager especially, like this would have been the stuff that would keep me up nights and I would write it in my journal. So I guess right, like, like it tracks. Like all of this feels very familiar.
3: This is not proof that either one of them was not straight, but it certainly sounds like the journal entries of a million queer kids who have grown up in religious fundamentalism, a lot like it.
2: So I have a Mm -hmm. question. So if you're a queer kid, you're growing, like, are you writing? I think I'm attracted to other men. I think I might be gay. I think I have same sex attraction. Or are you writing, I have, urges that are not what God wants from me
0: and this is a temptation and I need to, is it, so. Uh, for me, I think I was writing, so generally generally for me, when I was journaling, I was writing as prayers and sort of, it was like a way to sort of meditate and pray. Um, and so I would be more or less writing letters to God of like, you know, um, mm. I, I don't, I think I usually tried to be, relatively polite about the content that I would put in there. Like I wouldn't put like explicit things in there cause you don't talk about things like that. But I would have been writing like, you know, I, you know, I felt an attraction for uh so-and-so or I'm struggling with an addiction to pornography, um, which apparently oh. every, every fundamentalist uh, teen boy has because we have to call it an addiction because we can't control it. Um, right. Whereas, like, as a human being person now, like, I realize, oh, you're just a kid and you're curious about sex because no one teaches you anything. Um,
3: Yeah, and your hormones are.
0: And you're just horny. Yeah. And your
3: hormones are wild and this is a normal part of being that age.
0: Exactly. I mean, to call back to our first um, time speaking, like, crack a blanket in half. Like, it just (laughs) is what happens at that age
3: so and to answer another part of your question gabi i think putting it in these kind of slightly obscured terms is very normal Mm -hmm. especially because there's a lack of privacy in fundamentalism you're expected to have accountability partners and prayer buddies Mm -hmm. and all of these different things and also you're living these people are living in dorms with other people um jim knew that he was going on a mission where he was very likely to be killed so he maybe knew that somebody would probably read his journal after he died um a lot of these things are written in letters as well so yeah to to kind of obscure what exactly this great sin that you're struggling with Uh is is very very normal Uh but oft most often when you get this kind of vague terminology about a sin it's something to do with sex because if If you were struggling with stealing, you would write stealing. If you were struggling with the sin of listening to rock music, you would write that. If it's obscure, it is something sexual.
4: Uh
2: So, okay. So there's no, like, they wouldn't be writing whatever the Christianese version of gay is. No. No. They would be. Especially not in the
3: 1950s. Like these these letters Mm -hmm. and journals are from the 40s and 50s. So okay. terms like SSA are not really used.
0: That's what I was exactly going to say. Like that's what I might have possibly said. I'm struggling with temptation of same sex attraction or something like that. But generally, no. Like, and we hide a lot behind this sort of Christianese way of speaking, and also like, there's a lot of like uh, um, buzzwordy things that I'm seeing here that are very churchy. So, oh God, purge me feels right.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Like that feels like, yes, something that I would say.
2: So if he's saying, oh God, purge me, it has to be something bad enough that he's like, I can't deal with this on my own. Correct. Yes. Okay. That ma- that makes like, a lot more sense <clears> to me <throat> than.
3: It's like asking God to physically cut a part of who you are out of you because you think this part of you is so sinful and horrible that you cannot even bear to name it. Right know why do you do this to me? Every time I talk to you, I get in this like highly intense mental state. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love it's you. Because it's okay. I
0: love you too. We vibe. It's cool. No, I was thinking about it in the sense of like, you purge. So to purge is to like get rid of, right? Um, but also, and I don't know why this is in my brain, but it's because I'm in the South and crawfish. But like you purge um, shellfish before you eat it. Like you have to clean out all the, the grit and the dirt and the everything from their intestines and all of that before you cook them. Oh yeah,
3: more stuff that we have to explain to Gavi.
0: I know, I'm sorry, it's shellfish. It's you know, um. it's
3: okay. <laughs> I think he's allowed to talk about it, just not eat it.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but like, there's a whole system for like putting them in clean water and changing the water and until it is completely clean and you know nothing is left. Or with shrimp, like you cut the you de- you devein them or whatever. Like, but it's, it's a pretty violent system of, mm-hmm. of like cleaning. It's like literally, you know, take the grit out of me, take the bad things out of me.
3: And and that's that's an intense prayer. Asking God to purge you is that is a very intense feeling. I don't mm. think that's the kind of prayer that you would pray for a sin that you thought you could just quit doing.
0: Yeah.
2: The, okay. I I thanks for explaining yeah. that to me. I just didn't have the context for not growing up in this I don't understand what the um... yeah and
3: this is kind of a deep cut too so (laughs) I'm glad to have uh Dinah for backup here let's uh let's take a look at one other piece of evidence so Jim wrote this about his close friend Bill this is not the guy who is writing the homoerotic thesis doctoral thesis this is a different guy quote The love of David and Jonathan felt again today for Bill C upon receipt of a letter from him en route to China. How great shall be our fellowship in heaven. Oh, to spend eternity with such whose spirit quickens my own, makes me throb just to hear his soul's surgings.
0: Yo, that is gay as (laughs) (laughs) Anytime there's throbbing, it's automatically gay. It's yeah. Throbbing <clears throat> David and Jonathan.
3: And, Jesus. and David and Jonathan like, and Spirits Quicken My Own and Soul Surgings. All in two sentences.
2: Quicken
0: means erection, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean <laughs> it brings to life. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But yes, I so, think in this case erection.
3: There is there is plausible deniability that a straight guy who's a fundy could write this about another straight guy who's a fundy because he's clueless. That th- th- it is possible.
2: David and Jonathan were, were roommates who were buried together and they, they, were, were, best, best they were best friends. They were
3: best friends. So I I <laughs> have to point out, this could be written by a, a straight fundy guy about another straight fundy guy. I don't think it's very likely, <clears throat> but it is possible. Here's something that ma- was written.
0: Can I make up? a note on that real real quick? Oh please. Um, potentially was Bill C um. So he was en route to China. Had he been to China previously? Because they do have gay demons.
3: Oh, maybe he had. A, maybe he had a gay demon.
0: Because Broke that back. would
3: make sense.
0: I'm just saying.
3: Yeah,
0: that would.
2: <laughs> Did he get any rings when he was in the uh, in, in Ecuador?
4: Ooh, I don't that know. is a
3: that is a good question. A very good even question. though all of this yeah. happened long before Ecuador. I want to read one other letter. This is from Elizabeth's close friend, Eleanor Vandevoort, who went by van her whole life, never married, dressed in a very masculine fashion, and lived with Elizabeth for quite a few years after Elizabeth came home from Ecuador. In. They lived in Vermont together.
2: Vermont. Eleanor Vandevoort is the most lesbian ass name I've ever heard in my life.
0: And going by van? Also, that's awfully close to Boston is all I'm
4: saying.
3: Well, wait till you hear this letter. (laughs) Okay, so here's the letter. Your picture thrills me every time I look at it, and I just wish for one more time to see you and talk with you. What will it be to be together forever? I am coming to know what the opposite of it means, and the greatness of it makes me wait eagerly for the fulfillment of the eternal state.
2: They're literally like, I can't wait to die so that we can go to heaven forever and just like. Yeah.
3: So both of them. So that letter is actually from Eleanor to Elizabeth. But both of them are having these convert. Both of them have incredibly close same sex friendships, question mark, in which they speak passionately about longing for death because then we will be together forever in heaven. And that will be so wonderful. And I can't bear to be apart from you. And. I can't wait to die so I can never say goodbye to you again. So, Which is kind of a lot. That, that I like lot. was I was a very queer kid wow. growing up in fundamentalism. And I had friends who were like missionary kids and would go around the world and I would write them letters. And even I wasn't writing something like that.
0: Right. And I'm just thinking like, it's very healthy to have friends of the same gender and to be able to express your uh, love for them in a healthy way. And like, da-da-da. This does not feel like that. Like my best friend and I will tell each other that we love each other and it's all well and good and we'll hug or whatever, but I'm not, um, throbbing to uh, hear his soul <laughs> surgings. I, I, I'm just like, Hey, you want to have brunch or whatever? Like, <laughs> will you help me move? Um, let's hang out and watch a movie. Like it's, and, and that doesn't mean that we don't love each other and we do, but it's not this, this, whatever this is. And I am gay
2: (laughs) since we've sent these, uh, since we came out with the episode, especially last week's episode where we had, um, Megan on and Megan was talking about figuring out that she was bisexual when she was in like her thirties, forties. We've had like emails, Instagram messages, Facebook from people being like, Oh, I realized that this friendship that i had with somebody who i went to high school with was a lot more than a friendship on my end at least there were feelings from my end that were a lot stronger than friendship and i didn't know that that was what i was like Mm -hmm.
3: yeah i've had a couple people message me like oh
4: right i just
3: realized (laughs) i have one more big bombshell i think we should go take up the offering and when we come back i will tell you about it
2: sounds good
3: that group is called eden exodus tell a friend tell a family member tell your worst enemy the leaving eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really appreciate your support now back to the show so we are back from our break we are talking about the truth behind elizabeth Elliot's myth-making about herself and her dead husband so i've read you all of these little snippets from mostly journals but also personal letters that were sent to and from jim and elizabeth to each other to other people etc and there's one thing that i haven't told you about these journals oh so elizabeth's journals have only been published in excerpts in her own books to illustrate the story she's telling they have never been published in full and they are considered lost there is a rumor that they were burned Convenient. Jim's journals are available at Wheaton College. You can actually go and check them out in their library and see them in, like in their rare books room. But before their donation to Wheaton, they had been heavily censored by Elizabeth with a pair of scissors. Ooh,
0: are you going to make the joke They or are...
3: are... <laughs> you are because I missed it.
0: <laughs> There's one thing lesbians know how to do. It's scissor.
3: <laughs> these journals <laughs>
0: sorry, are shredded.
3: Um, but I, I can put a picture up on our Instagram. Um, I'm sure that you saw, both of you saw, saw the picture in the article.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, these. I mean, he. She left in the parts where her husband was calling her ugly.
3: Yeah. What on earth did she cut out? Yeah. The butt stuff. She l- right. Um, the especially the like the second half of his last journal before his death is what really appears to be the most cut up. Uh, you have to look at the picture. There are pages where half the page is gone, and it is when you read through it, it does appear that all of the parts that have been cut are intimate in some way. Hmm. So there's there's a blogger who has put all of this together and this blogger came to the conclusion that while well, both Jim and Elizabeth were something other than straight, he hypothesized maybe Jim was a gay man and she may have been asexual just based on other things that she wrote that I didn't put in this episode, but that their marriage was a sham to make them acceptable. They got married quickly because a position opened in Ecuador for missionaries but it was only for the position was only for a married couple.
0: And in in having read the blog posts and things, it seemed like she might have been interested in being married to him. He didn't seem all that interested in being married at all or especially to her. That was, yeah, that so was what I picked in- up anyway.
3: You said that exactly right because his interest number 1 <laughs> he was not interested in being married at all. Right. And number two, a distant number two, he was not very interested in being married to her.
0: Which is maybe why he feels okay saying that she's ugly.
2: Yeah. Also, as like, if if you're a woman who is uh, uh, growing up in fundamentalism, you're told get married, get married, get married, get married, get married.
3: And then have kids, have kids, have kids, have kids, have kids. Yep.
2: That's what you're here for. You're, you're here to get your whole life is building up to when you get married. Mm -hmm. So I understand like, if you're not even particularly interested in sex or interested in that then you would still like see getting married as the as like the thing that that you have to do to take the next step in your life
3: and then this job came up that they both desperately wanted and the job was for a couple and that was the primary reason why they got married when they did
2: and i could even see being a fundamentalist and saying well, clearly I you know, I didn't think I was built for this, but God put this in front of me and God gave me this opportunity and clearly it's a sign.
3: That is almost identical to some things that he wrote in his journals. Like when he was talking about well, I thought God had called me to be a eunuch for the kingdom, but now I have this opportunity, is this a test and like what does what is the answer that God wants from me? Does God want me to prove my commitment to being celibate or does God want me to take this opportunity and do that get married. I, so the blogger that, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say the, the apostle Paul stuff just keeps dinging in my brain, like mm-hmm. saying that he would be a eunuch for the kingdom. Gavi, I don't know about you, but I've never once thought maybe I should be a eunuch. <laughs> nope. um, but I know, you know, Paul talked about um, being single and essentially being married to the ministry, unless you're going to burn with passion, in which case you should marry. But yeah, Paul is gay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <That's>
3: a, <laughs> we we um,
2: are you sure you want to claim him? Like you could have <laughs> let the straights have him. Like it's like you know how the buys have to claim Joseph Stalin now.
3: Ooh.
0: It's like that vibe. For him, I mean, you know what like, I don't want him on my team, but we've got other terrible people on our team. Like it's going to be what it's going to be. I mean, it's just like I
2: mean the the Jews. We have to claim Harvey Weinstein. We have to claim Jeffrey Epstein.
3: Yeah, see, like this Adam is part Levine. of like this is part of equality. Gavi, mean, you, you got to take them <laughs> as they come, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, so the the blogger that put this all together went a step further. I I'm going to go a few steps beyond what he did, but he thought that perhaps. Jim's desire to go into such a dangerous mission was kind of a Hail Mary for acceptance from God. Kind of, it was the blogger implied, and I don't think he was wrong. Maybe what was in Jim Elliott's mind was, well, if I go and I die, I am free from this sinful desire. And if I go and I live, Maybe I will have done such an extraordinary thing for God that God will reward me by taking the desire away.
0: I feel that deeply. I feel like I feel like that I've been bro- it there.
3: broke my heart,
0: yeah,
2: so growing up as fundamentalists, could you have seen like I don't want to say, could you have seen yourself doing something, but like can can you wrap your head around that mindset?
3: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yeah, God me, we were raised to die for wow. Jesus,
0: and that's kind of like <clears throat> it was. In retrospect, highly dramatic, but it was ki- it was one of the things that um, was on my mind as I was a, what, 20-year-old going to China was like, well, it's illegal to be um, a Christian or it's, al- it's illegal to proselytize in China. Um, and so I might be thrown in prison or I might, uh, you know, I might be put to death, but it's for Jesus and that's, that's okay because that's a higher calling.
3: And not just okay, that's almost like an ideal ending to your life.
0: Well, yes, yes, um, but I also really identify with this idea of maybe if I do enough, God will take this thing away. Um, and you know, we don't know what uh, Jim Elliot's orientation was or what his his desires really were. Um, I think we're making strong guesses, but I could totally identify with that idea of if I do enough for God, then God will take this thing off mm-hmm. my shoulders. So all of this tracks for me in a very personal way.
3: We don't take a hard line stance against speculating somebody's sexuality on this show, but we are very, very, very slow to do it. Yeah. And this, even this episode is, is pretty out of the ordinary for us. I think the evidence is very strong and I don't disagree necessarily with the bloggers conclusions. I think there's a strong chance that he's correct. Right. But I think there's a larger picture here, and this is where I want to go beyond, like, what we've read in these articles. I think there's something that's just orders of magnitude greater than two people potentially being each other's beards for evangelical Christian acceptance. Mm-hmm. Even if both Jim and Elizabeth Elliot were heterosexual, cisgendered people. Sorry to use a slur on our podcast. Oh,
4: God. <laughs>
3: It is abundantly clear that both of them had made sex and sexual desire religious to the point of absolute sexual dysfunction and what happens when a person in that state is a major influencer of the rules for everyone else what happens when somebody has spiritualized sex to a point that they are not able to they see themselves as a monster they see their desire as a monster they beg god to cut it away from them to purge them when that person is the proto-influencer telling other people how to do christian sex and christian dating what we get is toxic purity culture and i think that the, the like the effects of this are the same regardless of whether we are talking about a repressed lesbian or a sexual woman in a relationship with a repressed homosexual man, or just two incredibly repressed straight people in a relationship with each other, which one of those it was doesn't really matter. What matters is the repression and the effect that it had. So where this really does intersect with purity culture and queerness is, I, I've heard a lot of stories even recently about people who grew up in purity culture and they always thought like wow i am really nailing the purity culture thing i am the best at keeping my purity because i'm an afab person and i don't have any attraction to amab people at all i don't have crushes on boys i don't think about boys i don't even want to kiss a boy wow my heart is so pure i'm doing great and then five or 10 years down the road they realize that they're a lesbian and that's why
2: yep and all of their friendships with other women are just like extremely intense and very fraught and just like
3: and like they were never taught any kind of accurate information about their own body so if they did have a physical sexual response to another AFAB person they didn't know what it was so it just never occurred to them and this is an incredibly close mirror to my own story of having no clue I was by because why would I? So that is one thing that comes out of purity culture when it intersects with queerness. And I think we see a lot of reflections of that in the Jim and Elizabeth story, potentially.
2: I mean, the thing that I keep thinking about, because um, I've spent a lot of time listening to fundamentalist pastors preaching on sex and, and sexuality. And, and temptation as it were i'm a straight man and i've never once felt like man i like girls but that dude over there is really tempting me you know what i'm saying but like the way that they talk about like gayness and and the demon of homosexuality is that the god is that god will come in and god will tempt you with this demon and you will be so like it will be so hard for you to to, to say no, but you have to hold on and really just like, think of your purity or think of, think of like Jesus in heaven or whatever. And then, so that's not a, like, if you don't want to have sex with men, that's not a, a normal thing to, to have happen. You know what I'm saying? Like,
3: Well, it's yeah. It, it's like we were talking about with Megan, like, oh, straight women don't feel sexual attraction to other women. Oh, oh, it's, it's that. Kind of same concept flipped around. Like, no straight people don't don't get tempted with with the homosexual demon,
0: right? And what what I'm thinking through right now is like, so I dated women when I was still in the Baptist church and like doing the whole thing. I had a couple of girlfriends, and it's not that I was repulsed by them, um, but it was that ultimately. I didn't want that sort of not just sexual intimacy, but emotional intimacy. Like it was harder to connect and it wasn't what I was after. Um, And so like, I think we think about relationships and everything as, you know, what can I look at that makes me horny? And it's like, well, you know, maybe it's a little more nuanced than that. A lot more of it has to do with the mind and attraction. Isn't just who's got great tits or a nice ass. Like it's, The person, or at least for me, it's the person. Um, And ultimately, I was attracted to these women that I dated as friends, but it was much harder for me to build bridges beyond friends that like to hold hands or friends that like to hang out together alone. Um, And so, like, that was part of my journey was like realizing, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with these people. It's not that I don't love them in a way, but it's not the same as wanting to be, you know, intimate with them and mated with them for a long period.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
2: You know what I remember from when we were all the way back when we were talking about Jack Hiles in, um, and the battle of 1989, back in the first family fundamentalism, also, uh, wizard of God was he had that book where he was like, you want to have some emotional space between yourself and your wife. Um, and you can't rely on her like emotionally or let her know what you're really feeling. You need to keep that space, that mystery between you. Mm -hmm. What i like for me like that doesn't like sure maybe you want to it it seems to me like that's not something that because even men who are like toxic about the way that they view women and 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 will still want to use women for like emotional sponges Mm-hmm. And will want to like emotionally dump on their female friends so that they can like, y- you know, and have them do the emotional labor of, of, of propping them up right? and, and, and having that even emotional intimate, like
3: often goes well into the territory of emotional intimacy because like, as somebody who's been in that position more than once you get, you know, stories that really ought to be saved for somebody's therapist or partner
2: or even just like the amount of like frequency that this stuff is coming out. Like you can rely on somebody, you know, for, you know, if it's like a regular thing that you do, but like, if it's like every day, you're like, I, I need to talk to you about X, Y, Z, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling like constantly that's like,
3: yeah. And then you've got Jack Hiles asking Jenny, asking Victor, if he can make Jenny his best friend. Mm
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That's interesting. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting.
3: (laughs) That is... That is extremely interesting. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Jack Isles is the exception. I'm tired of being nice to him.
2: He's, like, the exception (laughs) that, that like, proves the rule to everything, though. It's...
3: But these... I think... The question, another question is, are Jim and Elizabeth Elliot a product of, are they repressed queer people who had no idea, maybe even that they were, maybe he knew and she didn't or whatever, or are they a product of the warped nature of purity culture and evangelical teachings on sex? There, there are so many questions that this brings up.
0: That that feels like a Venn diagram that has overlap in the middle though.
3: Yeah, true. Like true. I think
0: I think they it seems likely that they were in some way not straight and it also seems like that repression from fundamentalism kept them exactly where they were. You know, there's not really a road out especially uh, what year was it 1950 something oh, um think. when they were getting together. Um but there's not, like, a clean way out. And, you know, we've discussed before, this is the entire, their entire world revolves around this idea of going on mission for Jesus and saving souls. And, like, it's not about my personal fulfillment or happiness. It's about what I can do for the Lord. And so maybe they're repressed queer people. Maybe they are just extremely damaged from this sort of purity culture Um you know sex is the bad thing world that they were living in but either way like i think both of those can be true and both of those make sense for the people that we've been examining their their own words today
2: well if you view yourself as like just a vehicle for the lord's work just like as a human you are a vehicle for the lord's work then you know what do you do with a vehicle when it's worn out you like i guess you you sell it or you cube it or you you know and if there's something wrong with it it's less valuable Mm -hmm. but it's still a vehicle yeah
0: it's still valuable in some way even if you scrap it
2: right and then but then you know but you are literally just an appliance and it doesn't matter like the the whether or not you are successful or whether or not your your self worth comes from how well you are capable of um, doing the thing that you are built to do. Like you could either be like a high efficiency washing machine, or you could be like an old, not very good washing machine. And why would somebody buy the old, not very good one, except for that it was cheap? And so you just devalue yourself.
3: Yeah, and if you have something that you perceive as a dysfunction that will limit your usefulness as God's appliance.
0: Then you lower your standards.
3: Yeah. And you do everything you can to hide it because your entire self-worth is tied up in being a good appliance.
2: And if you're like, well, my wife isn't very attractive, but you know what? I guess I need a wife to do this thing. So like.
0: I need a cash car to get around town.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna buy a Geo Metro. (laughs) Oh God. If you're rocking a Geo Metro in 2023, I respect you. I respect the hell out of you.
0: Honestly, yeah. Now that that concept of I am just an appliance actually like really resonates with me because I think in a lot of ways when I was doing missions work and leading up to that, I was trying so hard to be the appliance that God could use to accomplish whatever he wanted. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my own wants needs you know, urges, desires, whatever, were became secondary because I was doing this higher mission that was so important for the world and for God and all these things. And so, yeah, like in a lot of ways, I could see that sort of being a way that you devalue yourself or, you know, take some of your own, you know, humanity away. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's not good. Just, but it makes sense. No.
3: I've I've just been like kind of turning this over in my head about how you get, you get super deep into this God take away my desires uh, thing. Hang on. I'm looking something up because I want to get the lyrics right. Um, Heather Heath had recently posted a video on TikTok about like, what was your mission song? We could we all had like that one song that made us really like ready to go
2: Little children well, that was hers, evidently falling into a burning hell. It
3: took me a couple of days to be able to come up with mine. Um I had to look up the song list of this super old hymn book that we had um for reference. It was the Moving Up to Glory Land quartet songbook that this was in. But I finally found it. And I want to read you some some of the lyrics., uh, let's see. Take my houses and lands, take my dreams and my plans, I place my whole life in your hands. And if you call me someday to a land far away, Lord, I'll go and your will obey. And whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. And whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. There's this this concept of like eradicating, not only desires that are seen as sinful but eradicating desire at all that Mm. almost seems like twisted and co-opted from buddhism Hmm. that i think like the 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 fundies would never want to admit that (laughs) but it's like a a a highly toxic version of the idea of like the less that i that i desire the less that i need The less that I want, the more enlightened I can become. But it's like this horribly toxic and painful version of that where the more I deprive myself, the more I excise pieces of myself that want anything at all, the more I fast and pray, the more I give up luxury so I can give more money to the church, the more I give up my time, the more I work to not feel anything that's sinful and only feel approved emotions then the more righteous I am. And that scene is kind of a goal.
2: The thing that I've seen about that is, I I mean, I know there are some people that fully and honestly and deeply buy into it, but just as often as not, you see people who buy into that because they think that's the thing that gets them the, the praise and attention and glory from other people. And that's what they're really desiring is validation from other humans. Yeah. And that's what gets them. Because
3: that's not like wanting validation from other humans is something that you can so easily pass off as, oh, that's not really something I ever wanted. You know, other people follow me and want to be like me, but I never asked for that. It's very easy to deny and pretend that that's not something that you want or desire.
2: And the reality is that getting validation from other humans is something that everybody needs and everybody wants. But it's almost like you can get that, but only as like a side effect of devoting your whole life to Jesus and devoting your whole life to God and being very right. Like if you do that well enough, that's the thing that follows that. So it's very twisted in the. it's very kind of like backwards in that sense, which is also one of the reasons why I think it's so you so often see that people don't really give each other the kind of validation that they need or they're like like Jack Hiles where you're not allowed to have those close relationships where you could get that kind of validation. Because if you do that, then you might realize, oh, I can get this thing that I've been trying to get from other that from God and that I get from other people. When I give my life to God, I can just get that without going through steps A, B, C and D. I can just go straight to step E and get that, which is way easier and honestly way healthier. I'm going to do that instead.
3: And it almost seems like that whole process is maybe what Elizabeth Elliot did, she experienced something that is genuinely tragic. Um, losing your husband at 29 years old, when you've got a small child, a little, I think the pet Valerie, her daughter was like eight months old at the time. That's tragic. But she went through this thing, and it was like a golden opportunity for her to be the martyr's wife, which is a part that she played for the rest of her life.
0: The martyr's missionary widow.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. She won the Christian Uh persecution game. She won. And she is still famous for winning the Christian persecution game years after her death. (laughs)
2: <laughs> was Through Gates of Splendor like required reading?
3: Yeah, it was in my school curriculum
0: Damn, that's crazy I wouldn't did say you for us it? it was It wasn't required reading um, I I believe I did read it years ago um, But it was also one of Just like ever present In the sort of psyche of people Like it would have been The story of Jim Elliot Would have been a sermon illustration It would have been something that got brought up Pretty frequently um, and it was one of those things where like, if you're interested in missions, you need to, to read this book, which ultimately is kind of weird.
3: Yeah. It was something you heard about even from being a little kid, um, mm-hmm. like even maybe in junior church or, or kids Sunday school, they'd be telling you this story about, you know, all the gruesome ways that they got speared to death, um, by, right. You know, these horrible people who didn't want to hear about Jesus and all the other horrible, pejorative and people. yeah, mm-hmm, pejorative and racist terms that they would use about these um, people in isolation. But I, I heard this as a kid growing up in church, and then in ACE literature, this is one of the required books. Remember, I've told you about reading um, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, yes, because our literature was light on fiction because <laughs> Jesus. Um, but I was reading like missionary stories were a heavily featured part of ACE literature curriculum. I read one about a missionary pilot who was taking medication to a remote location in Alaska, I think in sixth grade. And then through Gates of Splendor and The Hiding Place, I think are both eighth grade ACE literature required reading.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't because I, I went to public school, so we wouldn't have read Through Gates of Splendor. What really? we read, I think we read. No, why the <laughs> f- like? Why would we? Re- yeah. Oh, you're a are you No, you know what? You know what I read um, in high school at one point was Heart of
0: Darkness. Oh, Did you read that yeah. book?
4: No,
2: that book's crazy.
0: It is nuts. It's what Apocalypse Now is based on.
2: Yeah, no, you, like that book is like, oh, they're really just out here killing these people. This is yeah, f- like.
3: Yeah, and That's... I was reading this this book Through Gates of Splendor that, if I'm not mistaken, has actual photos of the guys' bodies in it.
0: No. That's
3: mm. I'm pretty sure it does. I'm pretty sure there's like a um you know how like older books will sometimes have oh. the pictures aren't printed in with the words, but there'll be a little
1: like there's five little or ten in pages in of
3: pictures right in the middle, right? Yeah. I am pretty oh. sure there were actual dead guys in my copy.
0: That is horrible. I'm fine. What was the movie? I'm clearly completely movie...
3: normal.
2: Yeah, no, There's... no notes. <laughs> there was a horror movie that they based on Through Gates of Splendor. I'm trying to remember what it was.
3: There have been a couple different movie adaptations. I don't know them all off yeah. the top of my head. But I I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, you know, was who who's or who or what is to blame here. But this was, this was such a big bombshell that I just didn't feel like I could wait till next pride month and do a whole episode on through gates of splendor to get to it.
0: Right. No, I think this is an interesting angle. And I, I do think it's important to like talk about where some of these sort of cornerstones of purity culture come from. So obviously, uh, Jim and Elizabeth were molded by the purity culture that they grew up in, but then Elizabeth turns around and sort of doubles down on it. And so noticing the impact of that, I think is really important, especially during Pride Month.
3: Yeah, because I I know that I've repeated this a hundred times, but purity culture hurts everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact, but it disproportionately affects women and queer people and there's this hierarchy to how much it is able to hurt a person and the more queer you are the more the lower down you are in that hierarchy and and the more it can psychologically damage you it's not to discount the idea that purity culture damages straight men Straight women, because of course it does. Sure, of course it does. It damages everyone, but it hurts women more, and it hurts queer people more. It's the same poison. It's just it's just how big a dose do you get, and what it, it just it it says. Sorry.
2: Say these metaphor corner, y'all.
3: <laughs> bingo. <There's>, yeah, bingo. <laughs> And there, there it brings up a lot of questions of what if the people who codified purity culture, the woman, who codified purity culture for the, my generation and the generation before me was, what if she or her dead, murdered husband were queer people? Oh. And what if they did bake their own absolute self, self-loathing in? when they codified purity culture.
0: I mean, honestly, that makes the most sense to me.
3: It it does. It does. You see the, the self-hatred in the way that they wrote about themselves, particularly, Jim, but Elizabeth did it too.
0: I think about how homophobia is, in a lot of ways, just misogyny that's been placed onto men um, because they're not as masculine as society wants them to be and sure. i i wonder how much of that like feeds back into what you're talking about here with um with Jim and Elizabeth hating potentially parts of themselves and then that you know festering and festering and festering and then you know how much misogyny is is in there how much homophobia is in there like how much of those elements that are all interconnected are like you said baked in. There's that internalized misogyny. There's that internalized homophobia, potentially. Um, and so, yeah, I think pointing it out and saying this is not cool. <laughs> like this is what yeah. hurts people. Is really really important. And I think and like I said, I think it's part of what pride should be about is calling out where we see people causing
4: harm.
3: Yeah, and that's why I thought this story was worth bringing to the table to have this discussion today. Because it is just so much deeper than, oh my God, what if he was gay? Right. That's a fair question.
0: But that's the run and whisper to your friend because it's hot gossip question. That's not the why is it important question.
3: Yeah, why does it matter? And I think in this particular situation, it matters. Mm Mm-hmm. So Dinah, you always do, th- you always do this to me. <laughs> you just get me in the space. Like even if we're just talking on the phone, because we have been here on the phone too, girl. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we just, you get me in the space to analyze these things. And I am so thankful for you. And Aww. thank you for sharing with our audience. And, um, and thank you for being in my life. Cause I love you.
0: Oh, I love you too. It is an absolute pleasure whenever we get to talk, um, Sadie and Gavi, both of you. It's it's a lot of fun having you guys um, and sending you just horrible things via text message um, continuously.
2: Oh, it's definitely not safe for work. Our text our, thing is. <laughs> our
3: group chat is primarily weird Instagram targeted ads. That's yeah. most of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And unhinged so, memes. If our
2: um if if our insta- if our group chat ever leaked uh it would like <laughs> oh it God. would be like,
0: probably so we're not as important as uh Jim and Elizabeth but it would be much more salacious
3: oh yeah
2: you know how i've always said like i have no desire to run for political office <laughs>
3: The group chat is (laughs) why.
2: If our group chat leaked, I would be absolutely precluded from ever running from political office, which I have no desire to do. By the way,
3: I mean, my dude George Santos is still technically in office. (laughs) Noted drag queen George Santos. There's another one you've got to claim. claim (laughs) Dinosaur.
2: George Santos follows the. You know the the best of Grinder Twitter account. That's like, oh
0: my God,
3: I do not.
2: Just, George Santos follows the best of Grinder Twitter account.
0: Okay, but the best of Grinder Twitter account is verifiably really funny. Also, Grindr, I, I'm not on Grindr anymore, but um, Grindr is a cesspit and it is as bad as you think. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but yeah, we don't claim George Santos.
3: <laughs> I really picked the right time to get out of online dating.
2: That's how I met my girlfriend, not on Grinder. I met her on Tinder.
3: Oh,
0: I met, <laughs> you know I met my partner on Grinder. It's fine. I mean, oh, yeah. in Paris.
3: Um, you I know. remember. I remember <laughs> swiping past my husband on Tinder.
0: <gasps> oh, Ooh. out.
3: Yep. I mean, he swiped past me too. So fair enough.
2: <laughs> he lived. He lived downstairs from you. So you're maybe like, mm, maybe I don't want to swipe on Don't this guy that weird.
3: i Point, yeah i, I that, that certainly would not want <laughs> in to get the laundry room i certainly would not want to get into a fast and intense relationship with a neighbor that culminates in us getting married six months to the day that we met <laughs> that would not be good
0: how weird would and now that we be? have a child <laughs> how weird
3: so <laughs> <laughs> um Let's finish up this episode. I've got a really nice positive pride story that I've pulled for y'all. I wanted to thank all of our listeners who sent in pride stories. I think this is the first year that we got so many that we just did not have time to read all of them on the podcast. Um but I wanted to thank all of you so much. The range of stories that you sent to us were so incredible. We got poetry from more than one listener. Could we you and poke this them more, maybe?
0: Hmm. could you post it somewhere maybe we could we'd have to get permission yeah for I, sure.
3: yeah i may email some people whose stories that i really wished i could have shared and just couldn't because of time and see if there's a way for us to put them as a free post on patreon that everybody can see or another way for oh, us to host cool. their stories because seriously the stories we got this year were incredible and this is the first year that we've gotten so many that we actually did not have time to cover every single one but the one that i picked for you is from bat who uses they them pronouns and their story is powerful fun i think it's a good ending to this episode and would one of you like to read it for us
2: hey there my name is bat they them pronouns fantastic bat i I guess it's good you're a you're a bat they you're not a batman
0: Oh, my God. Delete are we, we going to laugh at that? Delete <laughs> your <on>. account. I... <laughs> Gavi, you're canceled. i <laughs>
2: canceled. <laughs> okay. I mean, come come on. <laughs> the joke writes itself. I've been listening to the pod for a while, and I've finally worked up the courage to send the story this year. You don't have to read this part on the air if you – Oh, well. Sh- already read it on the air. I was raised fundamentalist Baptist church as a nephew. I like that term. I like that too. works. Yeah. Of the pastor. And while it wasn't as intense as all of your stories, I was technically allowed to watch TV. Although my family knew I was watching anime, I would have gotten in trouble. They strongly disapproved of the music. I wanted to listen to and applied a lot of shame, but didn't ban it outright. I do remember putting away or throwing away CDs after church camp at multiple times, bummer, but being ADHD and desperately craving stimulation. I feel that I returned to them with much shame multiple times over that sucks. I was married before I was legally able to drink and dancing at our wedding was strictly forbidden surprise surprise 10 years later i'm now divorced and living fully on my own and actually enjoying not being under the thumb of a controlling family or husband and re-listening to episodes of yours discuss patriarchy and control in the home has been a great comfort to me in this troubling time fantastic glad to hear you're living your best life hell yeah anyway on to the pride story back when i and my then husband were living in california he worked as an independent contractor playing music with the band for church services at an evangelical slash non-denominational christian church that rented out a room in a school as their meeting place we were still in the process of deconstructing and also leaving the church. But both of us were still too deep in to cast it off fully. We didn't like his parents church, but the preferred one was too far away to really get to every week. So this tiny meeting of half a dozen couples was nice and homely. I was working for a supermarket mega chain that shall not be named. And they had finally relaxed their dress code to allow for colored hair this will be important naturally wanting to express myself having finally realized that i was allowed to be something other than a cishet girl i hit up my friend who was going to cosmetology school and he gave me a pompadour faux dyed blue pink and purple hell yeah yeah me up, Pompadour Fauxhawk Sadie. You should get a Pompadour Fauxhawk.
3: Their hair is so good. Like the whole reason I wanted to read their story is because they sent us a picture of their hair, and it is so good.
2: Um, if we like blur your eyes out, uh, can we post it on Instagram? We'll post it. On Instagram. I
3: will. I will email them and ask if they would mind if we posted their hair. Hell
0: yeah! I'm, I'm... also a Pompadour Fauxhawk dyed blue, pink, and purple is the most you. I'm not a cishet girl hairstyle. I can even imagine. I love it.
2: Hell yeah. It's, it's cool. It's sick. Naturally, starting incredibly soon after that, the pastor mysteriously began preaching from the pulpit to this group of half a dozen seniors and elderly about how awful it is to be gay, that gay people are going to hell. Society is normalizing queerness, and it's our job to love and pray for them regardless. Ugh throw up in my yeah. mouth reading that. Nat, um, I remember leaving church every Sunday in angry tears, but keeping it together long enough to smile and shake hands with everyone and wish them all well until next week. Oh, That sucks. That does suck. This doesn't really have a happy ending besides eventually the church shut down because we moved out of California and the pastor did too. Wow. Ugh. I mean, this <laughs> is but I'm glad to be out of there now and truly living the deconstruction life, no longer forcing myself to go to a church that hates me out of a sense of obligation. Hell yeah. Thank you guys so much for what you do and for listening to my story. Much love bat. Yeah, bat rock that dyed hair, rock a pomp. rock a fade. If you want to rock an undercut, we're all about it here. Be queer Dinah, I, I texted love that. you a
3: picture of their hair just so that you can see it um either now or when we get done recording
2: yeah dude oh wonderful bat's hair looks
3: it is fantastic
0: oh that's that's fancy i like that primo
2: hell yeah that's a good dye job
0: very nice yeah
2: the blue congratulations the blue it sets it off man
0: absolutely
3: all right, Mark, <laughs> yeah, our, you're a Chuckster. My, yep, our other co-host is up. So that is our time for the leaving Eden drag brunch. <laughs> Thank you again, Dinah, for joining us. Thank you guys. Oh, it, it has
0: been a pleasure.
2: It's always f- amazing to have you. Um, we'll have to have you again on sometime and just like, maybe when we do more mission stories doing or like, something, t-
3: we've been doing like twice a year. Um, maybe after we cover. Through Gates of Splendor, we can go back and do another round of those mission stories that we didn't get to. Hell yeah. That's yeah. a thought. Through Gates yeah, of Splendor, we did have- decompression episode, and mission stories.
0: Mm, that would be good. I think we could also um, figure out potentially a, like, there are two movies about this whole story. So, at least two movies. So, there could be a, like, compare and contrast. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Sorry.
3: Because you are a, a film expert.
0: I wouldn't say expert, but I did go to school for it.
2: <laughs> Dinah, do you want? Do you have any social media you want to promote or anything?
0: Um, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Dinahousefire. House uh, Fire, TikTok at Dinah House Fire One. I don't really do much over there. Um, Twitter, I'm also Dinah House at Dinah House Fire, and I'm on Facebook as Dinah House Fire. It's D-I-N-A-H House, like a house. Dash fire like what burns
2: or oh so it's it's a hyphenated name so like yes so like
0: uh, just on Facebook Liberal. so
2: it's it's the it's the the <laughs> the firehouse and the house house is was the two families that that
3: yes
0: um I mean it would be except I'm a drag orphan so I raised a myself um. Orphan. So I don't come from the House of House and the House of Fire. Although the House of House sounds really funny and I might have to do some The
2: something House of House sounds like honestly like a pretty good club. I would go to the house. Yeah, you,
0: like the H-A-U-S of H-O-U-S-E. That would be I'm fun. I'm going to a
2: party at the House you of House. The House of House music. House of house. It, it plays only yeah. deep house. Oh only deep house, loud house, house house, fire house. House out. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs>
0: you just turned into flu love and it's fine
2: I don't know i watched the Zoolander the other week and I'm just like
0: <laughs> okay okay Zoolander is one of my all-time favorite movies
2: Zoolander <laughs> hits.
0: and that's as someone who is apparently a movie expert um, it's just perfect for what it is that movie's it's not trying to be other than what it it's is so
2: f- funny I like it's, it's unbelievable like it's it's G- oh, i cry every time i watch it it's <laughs> merman pop
0: merman um it's such a well written <laughs> stupid ass so hot right now
3: <laughs> i, just- I uh, would like to reassert my absolute love for unpretentious dumb movies uh nothing else is quite as comforting and you can follow me on social media uh, on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter 1.
2: And you can follow me on uh, I guess Instagram is the only social media that I do. Now that I'm a cishet man, and I can't say that I'm a cishet man on Twitter or I'll get banned. Um,
3: for yeah, yeah, for, for oh using
2: a, a, a slur against myself. <laughs> It's hate speech. I hate it. I'll get banned for hate speech for saying cishet. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm on Instagram now mainly. That's the place where you find me. It's at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye bye.
4: But all-